The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. You guys know um, the Lord instituted the Passover as a reminder to the nation of Israel throughout generations of his delivering power and his faithfulness to his promises. And you know the Seder meal has an intended target audience, and it's not hungry adults. Do you know that? It's a way annually to teach our children about the goodness of God. And the sacrament of communion, which is what tonight is about, is similar. We're gonna wait till the end of the evening to take it together so you guys can sit still and be, don't be in a hurry. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our union with Christ by the dependence we have on him through faith as we receive it and as an act of his grace as he pours it out, not merely in the elements of wine and bread, but in the life and the death of Jesus, our Messiah, his body broken for our healing, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and a new covenant. And so tonight is all about fixing our eyes on the sacrifice of Jesus and reminding ourselves, he said, do this in remembrance of me, reminding ourselves of what we have come to receive. We once who were far off have been drawn near by the love of God. And the only way that's possible is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen? Amen. And so I'm excited to, to take the Lord's Supper with you. Now, it is a sacrament for believers. This is, this is something that stands as a, a deep, um, meaningful practice throughout the centuries for those who have joined their lives, their souls, inextricably to the life of Jesus. And we live our lives every day, not just when we take the Lord's Supper communion, but every day we live in dependence upon him. The reason we can sing, it is well with my soul, is not because we are doing well or we are doing good or we have hope for the future because of something in us, but because of who he is and who, what he has done. And so we are reminding ourselves of that when we take the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're not a Christian, we are so honored that you would be here tonight and what a meaningful evening it is. And especially if you're a young person and you're growing up in a Christian household, but you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus and been through the waters of baptism, you are here learning and observing and having the good news of great joy for all people proclaimed to you. Do you realize that? And so if you're not participating in communion tonight, um, that is nothing to be ashamed of. You are our honored guests and we want you to know how deeply who Jesus is and what he has done has changed our lives forever because that offer is on the table for you as well tonight. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. And it doesn't matter how bad you are. Somebody say amen. And so we're gonna, we're gonna turn to the scriptures and I'm gonna pray and just ask the Lord's blessing. I, I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to you as God's word is read tonight. I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by God's presence already, but I'm just eager for us to hear a message straight from his heart to ours. Amen. And so God, we just, we give you this night. God, I'm just overwhelmed to be here in your presence with friends. Lord, to have this opportunity to celebrate our King Jesus, to get a glimpse of his majesty and to know his love deep on the inside. And I just pray for every person in my hearing, Lord, here in the room and streaming at home, 
Lord, I know many of us are sensitive to your nearness and we're just overwhelmed by a sense of your great love for us. But I know there's others who don't sense that and can't feel that. God, I just pray that you would break through whatever walls are present. Lord, whatever barriers have been erected, whether obstacles are in their way so that they can hear you, so they can hear of your great love for them and what you have accomplished in history to give us all a future. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and that we would have ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. The readings during the songs led us through Holy Week and the triumphal entry and ending in the crucifixion of Jesus and his crying out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Good Friday is, for us, an opportunity to come and to reflect upon the death of Jesus. And so it can have a heavy or somber overtone sometimes. And I know there's lots of people who are uncomfortable in environments that are heavy or morbid. I know lots of people who don't like to be at funerals. Um, but this is not a funeral. Do you know that? Because we, we've come to celebrate a king who not merely died, but a king who died and was raised on the third day. Amen? And so there's, there's great joy to be experienced. Um, and in, and uh, I want you to get all of that. Now, I want to read to you from Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. And I want to back up from the death of Jesus to the Passover that he celebrated with his disciples. And before I read it, I just want to kind of clue you in to think for a moment about how Jesus is experiencing these moments. You know, it's not often in life that we get to know that we are at a momentous occasion. Do you know that? I mean, sometimes we are. The birth of our children, we usually get a heads up on that. But there's some moments in our lives that are so monumental and pivotal to the future of our human experience. And a lot of times that moment, we didn't think there was anything special going on and we weren't prepared for the gravity of that moment. The night I met Tiffany comes to mind. I had no idea that I was gonna meet Tiffany, that I was gonna fall madly in love, that we were gonna be married for two decades and have four beautiful children. And I really botched the first time we met. <laughs> I really did. I really did. I had this newly found passion uh, for purity and for giving God my all, and pretty girls were a, di a distraction. And she was a very pretty girl, and still is. And I'll, I'll never forget that interaction, but you don't know what's to come, right? You know what I mean? You don't know how special those moments were when they're happening to you. And tonight might be one of those moments for you. Maybe you're here because you've been invited by a friend. Maybe you're here because you've been out of church for a while. Maybe you're here because, I don't know, God's doing something, stirring something in you, and you're just exploring. But Jesus throughout his life and ministry, and especially the, the gospel writers make this so clear in those last hours before his death, he was so tuned in to who he was and what he was on earth to accomplish and what that would mean for his disciples and ultimately what that would mean for us, that every word that came out of his mouth was dripping and drenched with meaning. And so I want us to just read this, not as just a conversation that happened 2,000 years ago, but as the Savior of the world who came to live and die for you, to take your sins away so that you could be forgiven, so that it could be well with your soul. 
and to imagine that he knows exactly what's in front of him and he's speaking with this awareness. Now here's what Luke 22, 14 to 20 says. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is a, a precipice in human history, is it not? And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now is the time, Jesus says. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, Jesus, at this point, had a complete understanding of who he was and what he was there to accomplish, and his disciples had no idea. They knew nothing. Their focus in all of the Old Testament texts had been on the messianic passages of scripture that spoke to a victorious and conquering king who would reign secure in Jerusalem as the head of Israel and as the head of the world that all the world would come to honor him and Israel, the nation would be at the pinnacle of his rulership and reign. And this is what they were hoping for. And this is what they were looking for. And their expectation when Jesus rode into Jerusalem at this Passover feast is that he was now proclaiming his kingship that was going to start a revolutionary war against Rome, one that God's miraculous power would deliver his people from like he had again and again and again in the Old Testament. There is no lack of stories about God's military deliverance of his people in the Old Testament. Do you know it? And so they're just waiting to see how this thing plays out. And yet Jesus here at this Passover, visibly perplexed and shaken, because he knows what he's going to do and thinking through what the disciples are going to experience. And then he uses this word suffer, which is not a word we like, is it? But it's a word that we are all familiar with. If you've been alive for any length of time, you know to one degree or another what it is to suffer. And it's something we seek to avoid whenever possible. And here Jesus is moving toward that suffering with a momentum that is unstoppable. And it's because he had a perspective of himself that was fuller and what he was going to accomplish in the purposes of God and for the fulfillment of God's kingdom, the disciples did not. Now they could have had it because it's very, very clear in the Old Testament. And in fact, we all know that hindsight is twenty twenty. Can I get an amen? I wish I, would have, I wish I would have just spoken a little bit nicer to Tiffany on the night that we met. Because hindsight is twenty twenty. Fortunately, it worked out okay. But listen, I want to read to you from the prophet Isaiah. 
And these may be familiar words to you, but I want you to consider that these words, memorized, no doubt, by Jesus Messiah, were running through his mind, and this is what his focus was on. Not in casting aside Roman oppression, not in establishing an earthly kingdom, but establishing a heavenly kingdom whereby he might become the ruler in the hearts of people and join himself to them spiritually and by faith inseparably to provide eternal life for all humankind. This is where he's going. So listen to Isaiah 52, 13. And Jesus is the servant pictured here. Behold, my servant shall prosper. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Nobody knows what God is doing here, but God has a, a mighty strength and an arm of deliverance. But the disciples don't know. In fact, nobody knows, but Jesus knows. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In retrospect, I don't think that could be more clear to the substitutionary death of Jesus for the forgiveness of the sins of mankind. And this is what was going through Jesus' mind the night that he shared this final Passover meal with his disciples. In Luke's gospel, he says, I eagerly or earnestly desired to share this Passover with you. There's some notable Passovers in the Bible. In fact, the first one comes to mind when God gave specific instructions to the Hebrews who were then slaves in Egypt to avoid the plague of the angel of death coming over each home in Egypt to bring death to the firstborn because Israel was God's firstborn and Egypt would not let God's firstborn go. And so God said, you won't give me my firstborn. I'm going to take your firstborn. This is going to be a judgment upon you and upon your false gods, the top of those 10 being Pharaoh himself, who called himself the son of God. And God executed that judgment, and yet he gave specific instructions to the Hebrews that they were to choose a one-year-old spotless lamb and to kill that lamb and to put that lamb's blood on the doorpost and lentils over each home, and that blood would cause the angel of death to pass over that house, and the firstborn of that house would be saved from the judgment of God. And so all of Israel carried out this Passover in Egypt, and there was a great wailing when God delivered his people through this judgment out of Egypt. And throughout the wilderness wanderings and through the history of Israel, the Israelites celebrated Passover, and they've done so in homes and with small, big family groups and large synagogues and little families and people in foreign countries gathering together to celebrate the Passover. But it was something that the people of God typically gave up on doing. Like many of the things that God gave them to remember, they stopped doing it. And yet throughout the Old Testament, as we've been reading the Bible in six months and we go through these kings of Judah Several times we've seen that when they turned their hearts to God, they instituted and called for a Passover celebration. Hezekiah did this, and he did it in a way that no one ever had. There was, there was a little caveat to the law that said, if you were unclean at the time of the Passover and you couldn't celebrate it, there was a later date that you could come be cleansed and celebrate it. And Hezekiah said, we are all unclean and we are all far off and we are all unprepared, but everybody come on the second chance night and we're all gonna celebrate the Passover together. No one had ever done that. And what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of God saying, it doesn't matter how you come. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you come. So you've messed up, so you're unclean, so you're not fit to be in my presence. It doesn't matter. There's an appointment I wanna have with you. When Josiah found the book of the law and read it and tore his clothes, he couldn't believe all the things they had overlooked and all the things they had missed, the very revelation of God. What's the first thing he did? He instituted a nationwide Passover and he called everybody and everybody crammed into Jerusalem and a Passover like that had never been celebrated before and was never celebrated since. There's some notable Passovers. After God's judgment on Israel and Judah and they had been deported to Assyria and Babylon and Jerusalem was in tatters and God moved 
through the Persian King Cyrus to allow God's people to go back and to rebuild. And they were so fixated on making sure that everything was pure and right and nothing was outside of alignment. And they instituted a Passover and everything was to the T because they wanted to say to God, we are returning with our whole hearts. And Jesus could have popped in on the scene in any one of those generations. He could have been in any one of those kings. But the scriptures tell us at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And the Passover that Jesus earnestly desired to eat was with his disciples in an upper room on the night when he suffered. Why? Because he was bringing the old covenant to a conclusion. And the revelation of God's deliverance from bondage in Egypt was now becoming a picture of God's new covenant in which he is delivering not just Israelites from Egypt, but all humanity from sin and the death and the grave and the enemy of God, Satan, the adversary. He is Christus Victor, and by his wounds, we are healed. And so Jesus said, this is the one I'm looking forward to. He's about to suffer, but he goes, this is it. This is the last Passover. And after this, I'm giving you this new sacrament. Smaller and simpler, easy to take with whomever, whenever. But whenever we gather and whenever we celebrate it, we are proclaiming our king's death until he comes because he is very much alive. The scriptures highlight the person of Jesus for us, and they do so rhetorically in a couple different ways. And as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together, and before the worship team comes back up, I want to just ask you to consider this rhetorical question, who is able? And the second like it, who is worthy? Who is able and who is worthy? I love that it was Hezekiah and Josiah and Ezra. Two were kings, one was a priest. And here we get this picture of how God is interacting with humanity. We all need a leader. Somebody say amen. You never get too old to need a father, do you? You You're never too independent to need a shepherd. We always need someone watching over us who sees better than we do, knows better than we do, and loves us. Uh, More than we can love him or others. And so God gives these types and shadows of what good kings look like and bad kings look like and good priests look like and bad priests look like. And so we get these glimpses and they're so helpful to us, but they keep dying is the problem, isn't it? You're like, Hezekiah, yeah, and he died. (laughs) Three generations later, Josiah, yes, dead. We got a new priest, all right. He's leading a charge for purity, yes, he died. They're prevented by death again and again and again and again. The author of Hebrews reflects on this, asking the question, who is able to intercede? Because the end of Isaiah 53 says he lives to make intercession for us, which is why we can always come to him. We can't mess this up too bad. Isn't that good news? Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost 
those who would draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so my question is, will you draw near? There's nothing that can hold you back except your own willingness. There is no sin he can't forgive. There is no obstacle he can't overcome. If he's overcome death, he can fix your tiny problems. The question is, will you draw near to him? Will you receive what he wants to give you? Will you let him make you one with himself and by faith receive this new covenant? And so is he able? Oh, we got one who's able. And is anyone worthy? Seems like an obvious question, but you gotta remember Jesus presented himself just as a human. He just showed up on the scene and he did human stuff. Now he did some crazy God stuff too. He did some miracles and he got everybody's attention and he attested to the sermons that he gave and the revelation about the kingdom of God, but he was still just a man. We're watching The Chosen, and I love how the artists who put this together really encapsulate the humanness of Jesus in his weariness and in his tiredness and in the draining of what he is doing. He's giving his life away. And so you look at a person like that, and all throughout his ministry, those who were at the top of the religious apex were looking at him and saying, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And you ought not to do that. And why are you eating with them? And why are you making yourself unclean by this? And they're pointing at him to say, who do you think you are? Which is kind of funny. I'm your maker. <laughs> I'm the one who wrote this. And I'm here. But, they, but it's impossible. It was impossible for them in their hardest of heart to see the worthiness of Jesus. Because he condescends all the way down to, to join us into our humanness and suffering. And so here he, he is nailed to a Roman cross, and they jeered at him. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And of course, that was not outside of his capacity to do. But he was using his great power to submit himself to the obedience of death so that he might rescue all of us. And so is he worthy? This is the question asked and answered in Revelation. The team can come back up, and then I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. But Revelation 5 the seer, John, has a vision, and he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. Now, this is a vision of the past of all of these notable and faithful, but imperfect and dying types of the one who was to come. Verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. This is a picture of all of heaven and all of earth 
each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers right in the presence of God. Oh, what an aroma. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The uh, ushers are going to come to the front of the room and serve everyone the communion elements. You can just grab one little double stack of cups. And if you can just hang on to those until everyone's been served, I'll lead us in taking them together. And I want to just ask you to reflect with me as they distribute these elements. I know it could be a little distracting. On Isaiah 53, 11, that we read at the outset of our time in God's word, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. This line, the author of the book of Hebrews pulls a very famous verse that gives us something to look at as well. Hebrews 12, one to two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and can we celebrate the fact that we can gather this way together with a bunch of us and take the Lord's Supper together on this Good Friday and encourage each other in our most holy faith and recognize the generations upon generations upon generations of faithful Christians and faithful Israelites who have lived in either retrospective faith in the work of Jesus or anticipation of God's coming Messiah. And we can look to heaven and go, we are a part of something so much bigger than us. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us with eyes on Jesus. No matter what you are walking through, what kind of anguish, what kind of suffering, we have a Savior who has joined us in it and who has delivered us from it. He had eyes on us, and so we walk with eyes on him. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our victorious Jesus. And so, yes, we proclaim his death until he comes. For he has, he has conquered. He has been victorious over death and the grave, over our greatest enemy. 
He has provided for us the forgiveness of trespasses, the healing our hearts needed, and he has now become for us everything we could possibly ever need. Now, everything I've just read to you and spoken in your hearing is true, and it is revelation from God. But this is not a transaction. This is not just because these things happened, now you can go to heaven when you die. That is a vast oversimplification. The truth is, because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, we can be joined with him forever. And his life-giving spirit can come to dwell in us. And this is the gift of God that no one may boast. And it is received by faith so that it comes to us, not by, by, by what we do, but simply through faith in what he has done. And that is what these elements are about. And so we, along with centuries of faithful believers, fix our eyes on Jesus and receive with faith in our hearts the sacrifice of a body broken for us and blood shed in a new covenant that we stand in and receive by faith. And if you are a part of God's covenant family, would you hold these elements up and let me ask God's rich blessing on them. Lord Jesus, you have done for us what none of us could have done for ourselves. And because you are able and you are worthy, our heavenly father raised you from the grave. It could not hold you. And so in obedience to your words and with glad and grateful hearts, we receive your body and your blood. Let's take the bread. Father, there aren't words to express our gratitude and our own capacity to love you back falls short. But in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And what comes out of a revelation of your power and your worthiness can only be adequately expressed through worship. And so God, I pray that you would help this reality to seep deep into our souls, that we might express our love for you as we respond in song. And God, I pray, I just sense in my spirit, there's somebody here tonight who God is just drawing. He knows your name. He died and rose for you. And he wants all of you. And he wants you to receive all of himself. And it's all, all it takes is sincerity of heart and to verbalize those words to him. You could do that in the simplest way, saying, God, I believe you and I need you. I receive your forgiveness and I give you myself. And if you can pray words like that, 
God will make you his own and it will be well with your soul as well. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come to pour out your presence on us as we respond. Lift up Jesus in this place. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand.